Welcome to the Cake Sugar Coach podcast. Join me each week as I interview experts who will share the science of sugar, sugar addiction, and different approaches to recovery. We hope to empower you with the information and inspiration, insights, and strategies you need to break up with sugar and fall in love with healthy whole foods so you can prevent and reverse chronic disease, lose weight, boost your mood, and energy. Feel free to go to my website for details on my coaching programs and to access free resources, kicksugarcoach.com. Hello and welcome. I have a special and wonderful guest today with us. I'm going to just read some notes because there's quite a lot to say about this guest. Her name is Christina Vasilek. And she has been an addictions counselor for 35 years. She's a licensed psychotherapist, I believe that's right. Is that correct? Yes. And has been working in the field of addictions for 35 years. She's also an addict in recovery herself. She's no stranger. She's a very fascinating addiction. Actually, we might, maybe we'll ask her about that. It's not sugar, um, but an addict is an addict and an addict in recovery share, you know, more common uh, in common than not. Um, she's the founder of the Academy for Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition. And this means to say that one of our areas of expertise is in the role of nutrition and supplements, and in particular, amino acids can play in helping us to heal mental health issues, as well as recover from addictions. She is um, the founder of the Garden Gate Counseling, the, the name of her counseling company and consulting. And she's been an international consultant with supplement companies and all kinds of other different companies sharing her expertise in this area. She's the former, former executive director of Alliance for Addictions, Addiction Solutions and her latest baby that she's super proud of. She's just founded a nonprofit called Eating Protein Saves Lives. Welcome, Christina. Lawrence, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> Why don't we start by you telling me about the moment when you first discovered that nutrition and potential and the potential role of amino acids and supplements can play in the healing of mental health and, and addiction issues. So in my life, those are two different questions. So I'm going to start with the um, amino acid question, and then I'll talk about the other one because I think it matters. So the very first time I took an amino acid was L-tyrosine. And I was in my um, early, let's see if I can remember this correctly. I was in my fairly early 30s. I had just discovered that I had celiac disease. So I was in the process or I had completely eliminated gluten from my diet and had to go through all the grieving and that giving up something that you've been eating for a very long time. Um, you have to go through that grieving process. And so I think I was, you know, having gotten used to being off gluten, but I was still exhausted. I wasn't as exhausted as I had been while eating gluten because I'd been almost completely um, incapacitated by it. But I was still very, very tired and I had attention deficit disorder. And so my mind was, you know, constantly going all over the place. I didn't know that then, but it was. And my doctor suggested two things for me. The first thing she suggested 
was tyrosine. I This was 35 years ago, but I had a very um, progressive doctor who was studying all these things and said, why don't you try this amino acid tyrosine? It's supposed to give you energy, drive, and focus. And it's the antidepressant. So I was very deeply depressed. I'd been very deeply depressed my whole life. And I said, okay. And she said, I want you to take a thousand milligrams upon arising and mid afternoon. And after a month, I called her up and I said, it's not working. And she said, well, are you taking it every day, twice a day, the way I told you to? And I was like, well, no, because I keep forgetting there's the attention deficit disorder. I said, do you think I could take it with food? And she said, well, I don't know why not, because it is found in food, because typically we're supposed to take aminos on an empty stomach. And so I took it every day at breakfast and at lunch, because I could remember that. And lo and behold, at the end of the month, I called her up and I was so excited because I had, I had energy. I could move. I felt bright. My um, depression had decreased. It hadn't gone, but it was less. My brain was going in a straighter line. And to me, it was the most wonderful stuff in the world. And then she said, well, I've just come across this other stuff. It's called fish oil. And maybe you saw so antidepressant and energizing and helps with attention and focus. And maybe you should try that too. She said, you should take a tablespoon of cod liver oil. So I did. And it was nasty because I didn't have very much money. But I took this tablespoon of cod liver oil and three days later, it felt like the sun came out. The sun came out. It was just everything was brighter. And so that combination of the fish oil and tyrosine um, really turned my life around. Was the first time I discovered the power of nutrients for mental health. Just amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. And where did it go from there? So you're 30 and you're, and you're starting to get your brain online and you're feeling better. And then what happened? Well, so a couple of years or maybe a year, maybe six months before that, I had walked through the door of Julia Ross's clinic who wrote the mood cure and teaches about amino acids. And she had first started, she had just started using amino acids for addiction recovery and especially for eating disorders. And it was her nutritionist who figured out that I was gluten intolerant and got me off gluten for which I will forever be grateful. Um, But Julia was teaching around. And so I was really curious about the amino acids. It wasn't until the doctor had suggested tyrosine that I started them, but I was curious about them. And so I started taking some of her classes and then I started meeting with the amino acid rep. And then finally in 1993, I got the same training her nutritionist had uh, on um, in nutrition because I had realized Florence, how profoundly, what a profound difference what my clients were eating or not eating made to their ability to 
focus in a counseling session, their ability to engage in any sort of recovery and to stay um, clean and sober off any substance. And so from that point on, that was 1993, I learned everything I could from everywhere I could and really developed a specialty in mental health nutrition because there really wasn't such a thing way back then. Um, so I was one of the people who kind of cobbled it together and created it and um, then started applying it to addiction recovery. Because Julia was doing it, Joan Matthew Larson was doing it, a couple of people, other people were doing it, but we're talking a handful of maybe 10 people in the entire country were using nutrient therapy and amino acids for addiction recovery. And it's a little better now. There are more of us and I'm teaching a lot of them. Yes, yes. It's like, it's absolutely, it's almost going to go explosive now because there's so many people anxious and depressed right now, right? And there's so many people who've tried SSRIs and they work for a bit and then they don't so much. And so they're looking for alternatives. And I think people are just awakening to the reality that how we care for our bodies the food affects our mood and they want that empowerment. They want to know there's something they can do to give themselves hope. Well, and it's so nice that there's something we can do ourselves, Florence, to give us hope that we don't have to be dependent on a, on a doctor or a therapist or a medication or a prescription. That these are things that we have more or less control over in our, in our own personal lives. And the reason why I hesitated there and said more or less control is that making some of these changes can be very, very difficult. You know, for one thing, we definitely can become physiologically dependent on and addicted to substances. And removing them from our life and from our diet can be really challenging. And then really learning to engage in the type of self-care necessary to be feeding ourselves consistently, appropriately, is very challenging for a lot of people. I really want to acknowledge that. So many people didn't grow up with it. So many people didn't have it modeled. So many people had, you know, dinner after dinner after dinner ruined by major fights over the dinner table. Or, you know, there was stress growing up around eating. There were conflicting messages around food. And so now we come in and say, well, you know, just eat protein every four hours and, you know, eat, you know, six serve, six to nine servings of fruits and veggies and everything will be great. And my clients look at me and say, what? Excuse me for a moment. My dog is having a difficulty. Awesome. <laughs> so sorry about that. All good. All good. Um, yeah. So you were carry on. So making these changes can be so difficult for people. And this is actually where amino acid therapy can be helpful. That 
rebuilding some of the neurotransmitter systems can um, lower our anxiety, can lower our cravings, can really help our brains work better so that it is easier for us to move into feeding ourselves the way that is most health, healthy for us. Other people can start with food, you know, because I always teach my client or my students, start with food and end with food. But sometimes we need to jumpstart the system with amino acids or other um, supplements. I was okay with the food piece by the time I hit my 30s, I could feed myself pretty well and I liked cooking, but I needed the um, amino acids and other nutrients to help me deal with the anxiety and the depression and the fatigue. Mm, right. Tell us a bit about what sort of supplements we're talking about. Like what, what, what kind of supplements are people, are we talking about here? So very often I'll recommend a good um, higher do dose multivitamin, especially if somebody had not been eating well for a very long time or has had digestive issues, or like me, I had undiagnosed celiac sprue for a very long time and so had become very nutrient deficient. And so we need a good multivitamin to bring in all that cofactor support and fill in all the holes that for whatever reason we just may not be getting from our diet because we're not quite there yet in terms of getting enough fruits and veggies, enough nutrients, or we're just not digesting it optimally. The omega-3 fatty acids, preferably from fish oil, but also you might, you know, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, want to get it from flaxseed oil or uh, blue-green algae is another way to do it because the omega-3s are an essential nutrient. And essential, of course, means that if we don't get any at all, we die. Because an essential nutrient is something that we cannot make inside our own bodies. We can only get from food. And if we don't get any at all, we'll die. And if we don't get enough, something's going to break. And over the last hundred odd years, apparently the Western world's intake of the omega-3s has dropped by 80%. 80%. So if you think about losing 80% of your income, something's going to break. And what's broken in the Western world is epidemic levels of learning disorders, of mental health issues like depression and anxiety, inflammatory disorders like asthma and arthritis, and heart disease. These are all at epidemic levels. And this is because the omega-3s do so many different things in the body. They're antidepressant, they're um, anti-anxiety, they give us energy, they're anti-inflammatory, and they help protect the heart. Right. And what about amino acids? T talk to us about that. So, Aminos fall into different categories. One I really like to talk about is glutamine because glutamine is more to help with blood sugar regulation and sugar or substance cravings. It could be alcohol, it could be cocaine, it could be weed. 
that come from low blood sugar. Because what we found is that missing a meal or dropping blood sugar is probably the number one relapse trigger for all addiction, all addiction, um, process addictions, as well as substance use disorders, as well as sugar, because of what happens in the prefrontal cortex when a meal is missed. Um, it goes offline, it stops working. And when it stops working, we lose access to our recovery skills, our stress management skills, our executive functioning, and our willpower goes right out the window. Well, glutamine is a substance that various parts of the body uses fuel. And the prefrontal cortex uses it as fuel as well. And so it can turn off the adrenaline rush that we get after our blood sugar drops. And therefore, it gives us back our thinking, our planning, our willpower, our reasons for staying the course, and therefore our ability to stay the course. So a lot of my clients carry a little baggie with them with, you know, glutamine capsules in it, just in case they missed their meal um, or they're PMSing and they need to eat, you know, a little more frequently and they start getting a craving or they start getting dysregulated and they can take a thousand milligrams of glutamine. And it's like, okay, I can buy myself time until I can get some real food. Mm, incredible. Yeah. So I love glutamine, but then the other amino acids fall into the neurotransmitter category. So neurotransmitters are, you know, the chemicals in our brain that help us cope with stress and that mediate mood. Some of them, like the catecholamines, give us energy, drive, and focus. That's the tyrosine that helped so much I was talking about before. Um, some of them, um, like serotonin, help us mellow out and sort of flow with stress and feel more cheerful and more forgiving of ourselves and others. GABA allows us just to physically relax as well as to filter out, you know, stimulus and distracting things and overwhelming things. And then the endorphins help us feel connected and loved and bonded. And they also help us go numb when we need to go numb because sometimes we do. And that's what the endorphins do. Well, sometimes these neurotransmitter systems get really low. And when they get low, and it could be for genetic reasons, it could be because we're not eating well enough, it could be because we're using substances that drain them, um, then we get symptoms. Then we're tired, we're depressed, we're anxious, we can't sleep. Um, we yearn for something to make us feel better. And then we find that one substance or that one behavior that like turns our brains back on. It's like, oh, oh, I really like that. Give me more, give me more. But of course, anytime we use a mood altering substance or behavior, we're using up more of the neurotransmitter, depleting it, and it becomes a really vicious spiral. How does it do that, Christina? So how exactly does sugar or cocaine or alcohol or whatever deplete our neurotransmitters? by firing them. So they give a little signal to the brain 
saying, okay, we need this substance. So let's take sugar or cocaine. And um, the brain says, okay, fire norepinephrine for energy. Because some people crave sugar for energy. That's me, actually. But I'm really tired. All I can think of where's, you know, where, where's the candy? And I don't keep candy in my house. But um, that's where my brain goes when I'm tired. Because I need more norepinephrine and adrenaline for the get up and go. So let's say I do a candy and I have some and I get that little or coffee. And I get that um, spark of energy because the brain has fired the neurotransmitter and I have energy, but that means that there's less uh, norepinephrine left in its, in the vesicle, in its reservoir. So what happens is the brain will fire it. You'll get a response, but there's left, there's less in the reservoir the brain now has to make more, okay? And it takes a little bit of time for the brain to make more. You have your cup of coffee, it's great for an hour or two, and then you crash, right? We've all experienced that crash. Well, that crash is because the brain has used up its neurotransmitter. There's no more left, or it needs another hit of the drug to get it. And you have to wait till the brain rebuilds that reservoir. If you're using this mood altering substance over and over and over again, the brain finally says, you know, I'm firing too much of this stuff. I need to pull back. And it pulls back in a number of ways. But one of the ways it pulls back is by making less neurotransmitter. So it takes longer and longer to refill the reservoir. But now the reservoir is actually a little smaller. Like we started up with this much and we end up with this much. Well, this much doesn't last as long. And so now we have what's called tolerance. Tolerance is where we need more and more and more to get the same effect. A little bit isn't enough anymore. You know, one cup of coffee in the morning has turned into three cups of coffee. One piece of candy has turned into the whole bag because a little bit's not doing it. Your brain needs more and more and more. But then when you stop, your brain goes into panic mode. Where is it? Give me more. Because we actually can't function on the little tiny bit of neurotransmitter that's left. I mean, we're still alive, but we're really suffering. Those are withdrawal symptoms. And different drugs create different withdrawal symptoms when you stop using them. Um, sugar has its own, you know, cocaine has its, alcohol has its. They're all a little different, but there's definitely overlap. And so when you bring in an amino acid, therefore, the right amino acid, the brain will very quickly make more neurotransmitter taking away the craving and significantly lessening the withdrawal symptoms because now the brain is able to make more very quickly. It doesn't need the drug to fire what's left. It uses the amino acid to actually refill the tank. 
And over time, and some studies say it may take six to 10 months for these now shrunken reservoirs to actually not only fill, but actually start expanding back to where they were at the beginning or should have been at the beginning. So the, yeah, this is the piece that really boggles my mind. So why can't the body skip the middleman and just secrete more epinephrine or serotonin or dopamine? Like, why is it dependent on us using a substance to fire it? It's typically not. It's only dependent on a substance to fire it if it's gotten depleted or if something's genetically getting in its way. Okay. Okay, some brains, for various reasons, that maybe there aren't enough receptor sites. So can I get a little biochemical here? Sure. Okay. So Dr. Kenneth Blum, in the 80s and early 90s, discovered something called reward deficiency syndrome. And reward deficiency syndrome is really one of the first times a researcher identified genetic drivers of addictive behavior. So he started studying the genes of very serious alcoholics, the ones who were drinking enormously and just simply couldn't stop no matter what. And he looked at their genes and discovered that they were lacking the genes or there were polymorphisms, SNPs, mutations, in the genes that regulated the number of dopamine receptor sites in the brain. So the way these neurotransmitters fire is one cell here releases it into the space between the cells called the synapse and little receptor sites at the end of the next cell picks them up and fires an electrical signal to the part of the brain that will give you a mood changing response, okay? You have to have enough of these little fingers here to pick up the signal. So people with um, reward deficiency syndrome, say you're supposed to have five of them, may only have two of them. Well, two doesn't send a strong enough signal downstream. So people don't have enough reward. They don't feel satisfied. They don't feel happy. They don't. They don't feel like they got there. And maybe they've been feeling that their whole life and they discover alcohol and it's like the brain turns on and it's wonderful. And then they get caught by alcoholism. Well, he didn't stop there. He then started looking at the extended family of these alcoholics and found that in the extended family, the brothers and sisters, the mothers and fathers, the aunts and uncles, the cousins. There was somebody with a gambling issue here and sugar addiction there and cocaine somewhere else, right? He found all of these different addictions in the family members. And when he looked at their genes, they also had the same issues that the alcoholic had with dopamine receptors. And so he said, oh, there's a huge issue here with dopamine. And so he called it because dopamine fires in the reward center of the brain. Whenever we use any addictive substance or behavior, it all ends up with dopamine. Um, he said, okay, this is dopamine reward deficiency syndrome. 
But then he started asking the question, well, why in this extended family, everybody is missing D2 receptors, but some people do better with cocaine or, or alcohol or marijuana or sugar. Not everybody, you know, some of those people can take or leave alcohol. What's the difference? And then he started studying more and realized that it wasn't just the D2 receptors, but there were other genes that were malfunctioning, perhaps in the endorphin system or the GABA system or the serotonin system on top of the D2 receptors. And so people are going to have other symptoms. And so they may do better with um, sugar versus gambling or Xanax versus cocaine because of these other polymorphisms in their genetic system. So there's my biochemical piece for the day. Amazing. And I, I just, I still, I, I don't know why I feel like I'm still confused by, so we eat, we eat nutrition and we bring in some amino acids to rebuild our, our, our neurotransmitters. We rebuild, we refill the reservoir. And then once it's filled, we're good to go, right? Like it's we're good to go. We're able to moderate our moods and manage stress better and deal with life and have energy and drive and enthusiasm and feel good transmitter like we feel good now why couldn't the brain just do that because the brain is doing that and the brain is trying to do that very 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 hard but some things get in the way and some of the things that get in the way is trauma okay trauma especially early childhood trauma and ptsd continuously drains those neurotransmitters mm. and continuously drains the nutrients needed to rebuild those neurotransmitter systems. Mm. And we may have chronic pain. We may have hurt our back. Pain is draining those neurotransmitter systems. Mm. Um, we may have some of these genetic issues that mean that we need even more food than we're giving ourselves. We may have digestive issues where we're just not doing a good job absorbing the food we're eating. So there's all these things that get in the way. And some of these things may, like in my case, these things were getting in the way from day one. Now, I ended up having if I'm counting correctly, 10, eight to 10 biochemical reasons for my depression and a whole slew of psychosocial reasons. So I, in my um, late, mid, mid to late 20s, discovered that when I had a beer, when I got home from work every day, it made the depression less for a couple of hours. Now, a whole beer put me to sleep. Okay, I laugh about this because I've got clients who have to drink, you know, a liter of vodka every night, right? So my measly three quarters of a beer is like really funny. Um, but I needed that three quarters of a beer every day. I planned my evening around it. I made sure 
It was in my refrigerator. I had an alcoholic relationship with three quarters of a beer. Okay. Um, and then John Matthew Larson's book came out in the early uh, 90s called Seven Weeks to Sobriety. At that point, it was called Alcoholism, the Biochemical Connection. And she talked about a type of alcoholism where the person is depressed from day one. Okay, that was me. I couldn't ever remember a time I wasn't seriously depressed. And that depression is relieved only by alcohol. I was like, well, that's funny. And then she said, well, these people typically are from a Gaelic or Scandinavian background. Well, my father was from Denmark. And it's because of difficulty dealing with certain uh, fats in your food. I was like, well, okay, what do you do about it? She said, well, take evening primrose oil because that contains that particular fat we need. So I started taking evening primrose oil and it reduced my depression the degree that alcohol did. I was already an alcoholism counselor by then and I was a little worried about my attachment to my three quarters of a beer because I didn't know when that was going to pop into full-blown alcoholism because I have it on both sides of my family. And so I was getting a little worried about my three quarters of a beer and then I started taking evening primrose oil and the depression got so much better. And I said, okay, I'm stopping drinking. I'm playing with fire here. And so now I have alcohol very, very, very rarely, but I take either evening primrose oil or borage oil pretty much every single day. Because when I don't, the depression comes back. Mm. Hmm. How many years do you string together without having any depression in it? Now, let's say mid 40s, I'd say 20 years. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't until my mid 40s that I finally put the last piece in place. Right. So if I've got this correctly, what happens is we come in with predispositions, multi-generational patterns around these neuro, these four neurotransmitter systems that can be deficient um, in the receptor sites. We need to uptake those feel-good neurotransmitters so that we feel good just naturally through life. We, yeah. just, we don't have to do anything special. We don't have to go get a beer or binge eat brownies to feel good. We're just okay. So I have now been okay for 20 years. Hmm. Okay, now, okay, so what do I, what does my body need daily? I need fish oil daily. If I go a week or so without fish oil, I start getting depressed and tired. And I need the borage or evening primrose oil daily. And if I go more than three days without it, I feel it. Mm. I also need to avoid some allergenic foods. I need to be gluten-free. I need to avoid corn. And... I need to be careful with eggs. Okay, if I get too many eggs, I'll get depressed. Um, if I eat corn now, I just get mean and nasty and depressed. In the past, I got acutely suicidal. Figuring out the corn piece was my, the last piece. So that's what I need now. I will occasionally take a tyrosine if I need to teach late at night and I'm really tired. I will occasionally take some theanine 
for what's left of my ADD brain if I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Um, if I have gotten into a really big fight with somebody and I just can't come down, I might take some 5-HTP to just go. Okay. But 30 years ago, I needed everything under the sun and then some. Mm. Right. So so we've got, sorry? It's a journey. It's a journey. Right. Figuring it out. And it sounds like what we need to do if we've got these predispositions to these four neurotransmitter systems are not working properly. And on top of which, we're not being adequately nurtured as children and nourished as children, that we're not getting the proper nutrition that we need. Right. Then we're burning up through these feel good um, neurotransmitters more quickly and they get depleted. And then, of course, we're just we're just like a match to a dried Kindle, like it's just waiting for us to find an addiction that shifts our mood. And then we get hooked into it. And then there's this whole journey of unhooking and bringing in the supports to replenish the neurotransmitters and to keep them replenished through healthy nutrition. So I think of it, Florence, as a three-legged stool. Mm -hmm. Okay. That addiction and many mental health issues have a biochemical element having to do with our neurotransmitters. They um psychosocial element, which has to do with community, emotion regulation, and trauma recovery. And then our spiritual life, our relationship to the world around us, our, you know, um, meaning and purpose in the world, you know, our values, all of that, if we have a connection with our higher power, that connection. And generally, once we've moved into full-blown addiction, there are issues in all three categories, all three legs of the stool, and we need to need to be addressing all three at more or less the same time to really create a robust recovery. Yeah. And it's not a one-legged stool. It's not just amino acids and good food. It's not just trauma recovery and good community. It's not just, you know, prayer and fasting. It's, it's bringing it all in as, as kind of needed. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that because I certainly know many people have very strong connections to their church, to their faith, even to God. And they're like, well, I have this. Why am I still binge eating sugar? Like it's not, it's not, it's not lip service. I really feel God's love and presence in my life. And I'm still binge eating, right? Exactly. There's these exactly. two other legs that, that need to be addressed. These two other legs that need to be addressed. It's like trying to sit on a three-legged stool that only has one or two legs, <laughs> right? Maybe you can manage it for five minutes if you really put all your attention on it and you, you know, really try to balance. And then something happens and over you go. Mm-hmm. But once you bring in that third leg, whichever it is you're missing, then it's like, okay, pretty solid stool I'm sitting on now. I can move forward. Mm-hmm. So powerful. Absolutely amazing. Is there any final other final words of wisdom you'd like to share with us regarding the topic of sugar, sugar addiction, and, and addiction recovery? Patience. Self-love and compassion, we've all been there in one way or the other. 
but we really can get out of it and through it. And I really am, you know, here to testify that um, one really can move into recovery and stay there and start creating a life worth living. And maybe it takes time and maybe you're going to feel at points along the way that you're never, ever going to make it. But you just keep going and keep bringing in the resources and finding new ones. And sometimes you hit some dead ends. I know I certainly did. But you don't give up. That's what I want to tell people. Don't give up. There really, truly is hope. And it's really, truly worth it. Christina, so beautiful. Thank you so much for all the work you've done over 35 years. And especially, I would say, being so honest about your own journey, right? It just makes us real. We can connect to you. And it's it's a it's takes time and it's a bit messy. And I love the idea that some things aren't going to work. So try the next thing. Just because the fish oil didn't work for you, keep trying new things. Exactly. Thank you so much, Florence. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you would like more interviews, more information, and more inspiration on how to break up with sugar, go to my YouTube channel, Kick Sugar Coach, or my website, kicksugarcoach.com. See you next week.